taken from John chapter 6, verses 34 through 38. John chapter 6, verses 34 through 38. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Thank you, John. Good morning, church. It's great to see each and every one of you here today, especially if you are visiting. We would like to ask that you would stay around a few moments after our services so that we might get to know you better and thank you for coming our way. I do want to update you on a few things that we failed to mention uh, in uh, for prayer requests and other things. Uh, Pam Castile will be having a stress test done tomorrow morning uh, in Corinth, and so she's asked that we pray for her tomorrow. Also, Peggy Ramey was in the hospital uh, in Corinth last Thursday with heart issues. She had to have three stents and arteries cleaned out and a pacemaker put in. And so she's now at home and we want to remember her as well. And uh, on uh, a more exciting note, uh, tomorrow is the 68th anniversary of Ansel and Betty Blunt. And so we celebrate with them and thank them for their great example. And uh, we're, we're excited uh, for that news. Also want to uh, keep in your minds and remind you, we have several uh, opportunities to serve. One of those being our door knocking, uh, as Brother Eddie mentioned for us, next Sunday. Uh, so please be planning for that and thinking about that. Last time we did that, uh, there was a great success. And so we want to encourage you to be thinking about that and planning for that. Uh, maybe you can't go out and knock, but we want you to know and ask that you will pray for those that will be knocking. Uh, the way I understand, we do. We are on Facebook Live now, and so we welcome in those guests on Facebook Live. And want to encourage you, uh, it's been announced that we need help in the audio-visual room. And so if you can help in that way, uh, there are always opportunities to serve. Have you ever been in a place where there's a large crowd? Uh, maybe you've been to concerts and things like that. And we've seen large crowds recently. For example, uh, last year at the World Series, we saw a huge crowd gathered. Uh, this year at the Super Bowl, thousands of people gathered at the Super Bowl. Uh, and most recently in the NBA Finals, thousands gathered and thousands more watched to see this happening. And then more recently, we've seen the protests in London. Thousands of people gathered uh, in uh, this location. Go on to the next slide there, Brother Greg. And the next slide. And the next slide. And then we'll see, we'll see this great gathering of people. So we've, we've seen pictures of all these gatherings of people. Large crowds. And today's lesson is placed in a scene where there's a large crowd. Now maybe not as big as some of these that we've seen, but there's a large crowd. And we see here, it's interesting that this, this particular miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, we're familiar with this story, but there's some interesting things uh, about this story that stands out in our minds. For example, one of the interesting things about this miracle is that it's listed, it's, it's placed in all four Gospels. 
There must be something special about this miracle. And so if you'll notice here in John chapter 5, the scene is set. You remember several months ago we looked at John chapter 5 and Jesus healing this man at the pool of Bethesda. And in about verses 16 and verse 18 of John chapter 5, we see that because of that, because Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath, that the Jewish leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus. And so he fled away. He left Judea and he headed to Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And the time frame is believed between these two chapters. Sometimes that's not all that important, but here is a time where it is important. It's about six months to a year. Now you imagine... You imagine Jesus is still going about doing miracles. In verse 2, we'll notice that, that these people follow Him because they had seen the signs that He had done on those who had been diseased. And you imagine the crowd that could have gathered, the large followings that could have gathered, and this did happen to Jesus. In fact, here in this feeding, this miracle, it's, it's known to be about 5,000. Now, the other Gospels let us know it's about 5,000 men. But also, children and uh, women and children were there as well. And so, this is much more, greater than 5,000. So we have this large crowd that has been following Jesus. And so the Bible says in the beginning of John chapter 6 that Jesus and His disciples, after this six month to a year period of time, they have this large gathering, this large following, and they go over the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And so they go from probably around the, the little port city of Tiberias over to over across on the eastern side or on the northeastern side to a little town known as Bethsaida. And this large crowd, even though Jesus and His apostles had gone over the sea, they walk around and they follow and they catch up with Jesus. Jesus and His disciples likely are seeking refuge, seeking rest from their ministry and their work. But the crowd did not allow that. The Bible also says it was about Passover time. Remember, Passover was the meal that the children of Israel would partake in to remind them of what God had done for them in passing over their families and their households when they were in Egyptian bondage and prior to coming out. And the Bible says Jesus lifted up His eyes and He saw the crowd. He saw the crowd, but there was a problem. The problem was that there wasn't any food. This, this large group of people had anxiously traveled to this place to see Jesus, like verse 2 says, because they saw the signs which He performed on those who were deceased. But they had failed to think about provisions for food. And so here they are in this, uh, in this area, on this mountainside. The Bible says there's much grass there. On this mountainside, and they're without food. It's interesting too as I studied through uh, on this miracle that Jesus and His apostles, the disciples, they too likely had not had anything to eat. They had been ministering all day. Uh, and, and here these crowds were again. And they had been ministering all day and they too had not had any food. Luke records, as well as Matthew and Mark, 
Notice Luke chapter 9 and verse 12. That the twelve disciples said to Jesus, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. We are in a deserted place. But it's interesting in John chapter 6 and verse 5. It's interesting that John records that Jesus comes to Philip and he says to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And Philip replies, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Verse 7, That every one of them may have a little. You see, 200 denarii was about eight-month wages for the average worker. And Philip says, listen, eight months' wages would not be enough to buy enough bread for all of these people. Philip knew, listen, it's pointless to talk about where to get bread if we don't even have enough money to buy bread so that even every person could have just a crumb. Why? Why did the Lord single out Philip? Well, the reason He singled out Philip is not, real, not really known. It, it could have been that Philip was the administrator of the, the twelve apostles. Perhaps he was the one that took care of making sure they had meals or, or preparing logistical things for the twelve. But whatever the reason, the Bible says that Jesus did this in verse 6. This He said to test Him. For He knew what He would do. He did this to test Him. Uh, perhaps Jesus even used this not only to test Philip, but to put this dilemma, this testing on the rest of the apostles. Likely to strengthen their faith. James chapter 1, notice what the Bible says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, look at this, lacking nothing. You think Jesus is concerned about the spiritual condition, the spiritual faith condition of Philip and the other disciples? Sure He is. Because the testing, the purpose of it, is so that their faith might be strengthened. James says the same thing. Count it all joy when you go through these trials. People talk about struggling with various scriptures. This is one that, that causes us some struggle sometimes. Count it all joy. Be glad. Be happy when I'm going through these things. And James says, knowing that when you go through these trials, it strengthens your faith. It makes you complete, lacking nothing. Think about Job. <clears throat> Job was tested tremendously, wasn't he? You think about the things that Job went through. I mean, 
no more there in chapter 1. Job is, is going through his life serving God. And all of a sudden, a servant comes back and says, uh, listen, we were in this location. And all of a sudden, someone came upon us and they, they killed everyone. And I alone am left to, uh, to, to return to tell you about it. And then there's another group over here. And they killed all your flock. And I alone, I'm left to tell. And then as Job is mourning all this and trying to figure out what in the world's going on, Someone comes and tells about his family celebrating a birthday or a party. And a whirlwind comes and knocks the house down and kills all of his family. And Job is left wondering, what in the world is going on? Even Job's wife says, listen, why don't you just curse God and die? But even not understanding what was going on, not understanding this testing, not understanding what's happening behind the scenes with Satan, Job says this. Then Job arose, Job chapter 1 and verse 20, and he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell down on the ground, and he worshipped. You see, Job's response to testing and to trial is that he fell down and he worshipped. And he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Uh, one commentator said this way, In other words, Job might have said something like this, My God is not just a material Savior, but a spiritual one. He is worth serving no matter the circumstances. But there are those in Scripture that struggled, didn't they? They struggled when they had trials come in their life. They struggled when their faith had been tested. Have you been there before? Maybe you're here today and you're going through some sort of trial. You're going through some sort of testing. And the message we want you to remember is that look around, you're not in this alone. You don't have to carry that burden alone. God has given us each other to help with that. Also remember, God is in the middle of that trial. God wanted those disciples to grow in their faith. God wanted Job to grow in his faith. God wanted all his people who were going through trials and testing, he wanted them to grow in their faith, and God wants you to grow in your faith as well. In John chapter 6, after Philip makes this statement, notice verse 8, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, brother said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, two small fish. But what are they among so many? Andrew, in a sense, maybe he's the one that when Jesus asked this question or told Philip, go find where we can buy food for them, for these people, he goes searching for food and he finds this young boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. And he comes back, and I want you to notice this picture on the screen. Notice Jesus, and he said, Philip says to him, or Andrew, what are they among so many? Many. 
Maybe Andrew has done a little bit better, but still, he's like, this is so small compared to what the need is, Lord. Even Jesus' closest followers and companions missed the point he was trying to get across. These disciples, they had, they had witnessed many miracles that Jesus had done, very much like the crowd. Maybe they had even seen more, and they too missed the point of what Jesus was trying to get these people to see, including His disciples. You see, what was it Philip was focused on? Uh, Philip was focused on, well, monetarily, this is impossible, Jesus. Maybe that's the point, Philip. Jesus wants you to see the impossibility of what you see. Andrew as well, he focused on the impossibility of these few loaves of bread and two fish. The important thing is to remember that our faith is in Jesus and His power. Not always what we see. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Sometimes we may look at things and say, Oh man, Lord, that's impossible. The task that you're asking me to do is impossible. Maybe it's something simple as knocking on someone's door and you say, I can't do that. That's impossible. I don't have those talents and abilities. That's impossible. And Jesus says, what do you focus on? What are you looking at? Is it the impossibility or the power behind what is possible. And Philip and Andrew, they just totally miss the point. They totally miss what's what's going on and what's happening. And Jesus wants to remind them, it's not about what you see, Philip. It's not about what you see, Andrew. It's about where the power lies. And Paul would say, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. You see, that's where the power is at, Philip. That's where the power is at, Andrew. That's where the power is at, church. Maybe we don't always know what to say. Maybe we look at those people and say, that's impossible. Look at the way they live. That's impossible for them to turn to the Lord. Look at the way they live. Hey, Lord, look at the way I have lived. Look at the things I have done. It's impossible for me to return to You. And Jesus would remind us, don't focus on what seems to be impossible. But Jesus, He provided the solution. It wasn't money, Philip. 
It, it wasn't in something else, Andrew. It wasn't even in other people. You see, the solution is in Jesus. Look at chapter 6 and verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And in verse 13, He says, Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. You see, Jesus gave thanks and He miraculously multiplied. I don't know how it was. I don't know if as, as they went around, all, all of a sudden, that the more bread they get, as they've taken out bread, more bread, it just, it's just always there. I'm not exactly sure how it took place, but the Bible says it happened. It's also noted that this type of bread was the bread of the poor. Isn't it amazing how God takes the simple and does something great? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, God, I don't have that much to offer. God's not concerned with that. God's concerned with that you take what He's given you, you take where you are in life, and you use it for His glory. He took something simple and He did something great. And if He did that then, He can do it today. Think about how He used Moses. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible says, Moses said, <clears throat> it said of Moses, he was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. But God used him to deliver the people from bondage. What about Gideon? Young people, you know anything about Gideon? If you were at vacation Bible school, you know something about Gideon. God takes Gideon. Judges chapter 6. The youngest child in the least important family in Manasseh to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. God took the simplest, maybe even the lowest, and He did great things. And if He did it then, He can do it today. Think about David, the little shepherd boy David. God anoints David, the new king. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And what happens in chapter 17? God goes, or, or David goes down to the battle. Where was the king? Head and shoulders above everyone else. Where was the king? He was in his tent, afraid. Where were all the other people? The other soldiers? They were in the tent, afraid. But the little old shepherd boy, David stood before Goliath. Imagine if David would have said, Lord, I don't know about this. Saul, he's head and shoulders above everyone else. He's not here. He's not going against this, this huge giant. I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I can do this. Lord, I don't know. I, 
I don't know if I'm the one. But what did David say? Goliath, the battle belongs to the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, the Lord delivered my hand from the paw of the lion, from the mouth of the bear, and today He will deliver you into my hand. You see what these individuals declared? Did some of them struggle? Sure, Moses like, I, I don't know, he started making excuses. Gideon's like, I need a sign, I need a sign, I need a sign. But you see, when they focused on the power in whom they served, it didn't matter if they were the least. It didn't matter if they couldn't speak well. Or if they couldn't fight. But they went in the power of God. And if God can use these individuals, God can use me and God can use you to accomplish His will. Are you ready for that? Am I ready for that? Or will I continue to make excuses like others? But I tell you, when you really realize the power in whom you serve, and it's God working through us, not me or my talents or my abilities or lack thereof, it's the power of God working in us, church. You see, not only did God provide for their physical need at the moment, did you catch what the Bible said? The Bible said that there was enough for them to get all they wanted. All they wanted in this impossible situation. Jesus delivers and the Bible says there was enough to get all that they wanted until they were filled. The Lord provides abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. You see, it's not about us. It's not about the talents and abilities that I have or that I don't have. We serve a God that can do more than we ask or imagine. And when we stand behind that, we can defeat the giants from Satan. We can defeat the multitudes of people like the Midianites. And we can come out of the bondage of sin like the Egyptians through the power of God. So what was the point? What was the point Jesus was trying to get across to them? Here it was. Here it is. The point is, it's not about the money, Philip. It's not about the impossibility, Andrew. It's not about how little you have. The point is, Jesus is the bread of life. He was the bread of life then and He is the bread of life today. After Jesus miraculously fed this multitude of people, the men said, uh, chapter 6 and verse 14, this, truly, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They see something different than they had seen before. No one can do this stuff. But Jesus realized what they were about to do. Verse 15, Therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, 
he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't interested in being their earthly king. He wasn't interested in, in creating a, a, another following of people, another government that would overthrow the Roman government and be in complete rule. One commentator said in, in talking about these people and how fickle they were, said they could see Caesar's image on their coins. But in the midst of seeing these things happen, they were beginning to see Jesus' image on their coins. And Jesus said, I'm not interested in that. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to be your earthly king. I'm here to be the heavenly king. That's what these Jewish people were interested in. Uh, they were following Jesus only because what He did for them. Uh, John chapter 6 and verse 26. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus answering these people the next day. Most assuredly I say to you, you seek Me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. One commentator said, the crowd was not motivated by faith, repentance, or genuine love for Him. On the contrary, they followed Jesus because they ate of the food and were filled. They were thrill-seekers who failed to grasp the true significance of Jesus' miraculous signs, which pointed unmistakably to Him as the Son of God and the Messiah. They had been told about His coming, but they were looking for some, they were looking for an earthly king to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government. But here's what's interesting. As is characteristic of Jesus, though he knew their superficial motive for following him, and because of his abundant mercy and love, he met their needs anyway. Jesus knew why they were there. And He still met their needs anyway. In Mark's account of this miracle, Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, the Bible tells us that Jesus looks at the crowd and He had compassion on them. When Jesus looked at the crowd, He saw sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus sees. In the multitude. Notice down in verse 30 of chapter 6. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven. They're looking for another sign still. And Jesus continues to meet their needs. Just like the Old Testament story of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Who was it? And in what seemed to be an impossible situation, no food, and God provides Manna. 
to take care of their needs. But Jesus says in verse 32, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Wake up, people, He says. It wasn't Moses who provided the manna. It was God. And as God in the flesh, I stand here now telling you it's not about the bread in those baskets. It's about the bread of life come down from my heavenly Father, very similar to manna, and He gives eternal life. He would remind these individuals in verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent His seal on Him. You know, a lot of people follow Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Some people follow Jesus for economic gain. Some people follow Jesus to gain power and prestige. People follow Jesus for many different reasons. They did in the Bible as well. And Jesus reminded them. It's not about the impossible. It's not about you, Philip. It's not about you, Andrew. It's not about you, Jewish leaders. It's about the bread of life that brings eternal life. Why don't you imagine if you were standing on the observation floor of the Sears Tower in Chicago, Illinois, overlooking the city and the sun is setting, going down on the west and the lights along Lake Michigan are coming on. And you're drinking all of this in, soaking it up, soaking the beauty up of this scene. All of a sudden, someone tugs on your shirt and you turn around and it's, it's a man and he says, Do you see this window? My goodness, what a window. I, I mean, look at the edging of that window. Look at the beauty of that glass. And before you know it, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out his pocket knife and he reaches down and he begins to scrape on the corner of the window. And he says, listen, I'm going to take, take this back and I'm going to do a, a chemical analysis. And if you give me your name and your phone number, when I figure out what this window is made of, I'll give you a call. Wouldn't you be looking at him like, are you crazy? I mean, this guy has just missed the whole purpose of what this window is for. For overlooking the beauty of that scene. And so it is sometimes when we come to Jesus. Man, would you look at that building? Man, I mean, that building is awesome. Man, would you look what they do? Man, they, that, that church is happening. That's where it's at. 
And many times we Christians come into their buildings on Sundays and they miss the whole purpose of why we're here. They miss the power that's in Jesus. The power to turn your life around. Maybe you're here today and you're wallowing in sin. And Jesus says, listen, I'm here. And I want you to turn to me. Because I'm the bread of life and I have the power to give you life. I have the power to turn your life around. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? Man, I've been, I've been a Christian for so many years. I, I, I've been serving. I've been coming to this location. And, and you know what? I, I just don't have a lot to give. I, I'm not that good anymore. And Jesus says, listen, it's not about you. It's about you giving your life to me and what I can do through you. You see, the message of this miracle is it's not about the impossible. It's about the power of what Jesus can do through me and through you. Are you in need today? If you are, it's our prayer that you will come to Jesus, not us. We are just here as mere support to pray with you and pray for you and to help you in turning to Jesus and living the Christian life. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, come forward as together we stand and sing. What a glory.